0: Good morning. <laughs> How many of you, just by a show of hands, have seen the renderings of the proposed renovation of our interior of our church? Just raise your hand. Isn't it beautiful? The reason why we're doing this is because what happens in this church is the, mo- is the highest form of prayer, and that is the Mass. Mass. If you've seen the bulletin already, you see that we're starting this Advent a series of preaching on the Mass. It's a four-part series on the Mass itself. And before we get into this series, I want to talk about just a few things to kind of situate us vis-a-vis what we're going to be doing. Number number one, we're not going to get into topics surrounding what some people call the so-called liturgy wars around the reform of the liturgy. While this is very important, these topics are important for us to consider, some people get more tied up with the form in which Jesus comes than with Jesus himself coming in the liturgy. So we're not going to be addressing a lot of the hot topics that are around in Catholic liturgy about whether or not the reform of the Second Vatican Council went far enough or whether or not it needs to be reformed again. We're not going to be addressing those topics. Number two, the Mass is the source and summit of our faith. This is what the Second Vatican Council teaches. Everything of our faith comes from and flows from the sacred liturgy and it goes toward the sacred liturgy so that we can be one with God forever in heaven. With that said, the mass is not the whole faith. Listen to what the the catechism says. It says that the sacred liturgy does not exhaust the entirety, I'm sorry, the entire activity of the church. It must be preceded by evangelization, faith and conversion. It can then produce its fruits in the lives of the faithful, new life in the spirit, involvement in the mission of the church, and service to her unity. In other words, the Mass requires faith. The Mass is for those who believe in Jesus. In the early church, they didn't even allow non-Christians to enter into the Holy Liturgy. It's for those who are already disciples. I say that because sometimes people have a kind of a superstitious or a magical view of the Mass. If we just had Mass like this, everyone would come to believe in God. If we just did this thing, then the unbelieving people are going to believe in Jesus' presence in the Eucharist. The truth is, is that the Mass presupposes faith so that we who believe might have a deeper union with him. We might grow in holiness. We might grow in our capacity to surrender and entrust ourselves and our families to God. Number three, we're not going to be treating every single part of the Mass in this series. It's just simply not possible. But what we are going to be doing, we're going to be zooming in on certain parts of the mystery in order for us to understand how to prepare ourselves to receive from God in this mystery so that we can receive everything that he's offering to us. So what is the sacred liturgy? The word liturgy just means the work of the people. And in Christian understanding, it's really the work of the people participating in the work of of God. And the Catechism talks about how, in and through the liturgy, Christ, our Redeemer and High Priest, continues the work of redemption in, with, and through His church. Right, so 2,000 years ago, Jesus redeemed us from our sin. He's conquered death. And it's through the liturgy and all the different sacraments, but specifically in the Eucharistic liturgy, that sacrifice, that redemption is made present. It's perpetuated in time. It's continued throughout history in the liturgy. Remember, Jesus says, do this in memory of me, that we're doing this as a way of participating in the very mystery of God. And that means we're we're basically being caught up into Jesus' offering to the Father. As Jesus is offered to the Father, we are caught up in the offering so that we can give acceptable praise and worship to God and we can receive the fruit of that sacrifice in his body and blood. And so the catechism talks about the torrent of grace or the, the, the amazing outpouring of blessing in this way. It says, in the church's liturgy, the divine blessing is fully revealed and communicated. The Father is acknowledged and adored as the source and end of all the blessings of creation and salvation. In his word who became incarnate, died and rose for us, he fills us with his blessings. And through his word, he pours into our hearts the gift that contains all gifts, the Holy Spirit. Following the liturgical movement in the early 20th century and popes like Pope St. Pius X, the Second Vatican Council urges us to participate in the liturgy with full conscious and active participation and to avoid a kind of a passive empty ritualism as Pius XII called, called it. That means we can attend mass and not really be present and just going through the motion. This becomes this empty ritual. So to actively participate in the liturgy doesn't mean you have to be doing something in the liturgy. It's a common misunderstanding. It doesn't mean you have to be an extraordinary minister. It doesn't mean you have to be a lector. It doesn't mean you have to be a part of the music group, right, or the choir, right? To actively participate in the mystery means primarily to participate interiorly with the mystery that is being celebrated, right, through our words and our actions. That means to pay attention to what is being said and to join your minds and your hearts to that, right, to, to mean what you say and to say what you mean. That means... Even what the priest is saying, to pray with the priest the prayer that he's praying. That is to offer our lives intentionally to God so that we can trust him. So it means to intentionally and consciously receive what God has for us in Holy Communion. That's what it means to to actively participate in the liturgy. To put it another way, it's to engage God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength in the mystery that is being presented to us. So the church talks about, therefore, being properly disposed at Mass. This is, what the, this is what the Second Vatican Council says. It says, In order that the liturgy may be able to produce its full effects, it is necessary that the faithful come with proper dispositions, that their minds should be attuned to their voices, and that they should cooperate with divine grace, lest they receive it in vain. It's possible to come to Mass and receive the grace of God in vain. In vain just means Empty. That you come to Mass and nothing happens in your heart, nothing happens in your life, nothing happens in your soul, because maybe you're not properly disposed. The catechism puts it like this. The assembly at Mass should prepare itself to encounter its Lord and become a people well disposed. So we're going to prepare ourselves for an encounter with God here at Mass. It says that the preparation of hearts is the joint work of the Holy Spirit and the assembly, especially of its ministers, The grace of the Holy Spirit seeks to awaken faith, conversion of heart, and adherence to the Father's will. These dispositions are the precondition for the reception of other graces conferred in the celebration itself. And the fruits of new life which the celebration is intended to produce afterwards. The idea here is that we come with faith so as to draw from God what he's offering to us. And I've said this before, and it's important for us to remember that the sacraments aren't magic. It's not like we automatically receive things in relationships. No, the sacraments are inherently personal because they're relational. It's about God's relationship with us. And so it's very important that we attend to our own attitude and disposition so that we can receive from God. In other words, if I'm, if I'm coming to Mass and I'm really not believing God is going to bless me, or maybe there's sin in my life that I'm not repenting of. Or maybe I don't believe God is even going to do anything at Mass. Or maybe I have some sort of lack of understanding of how God really wants to be in my life. I'm not well disposed. And because of that, I'm not going to receive from, from much from Mass. So it's very important for us to be attentive to being properly disposed at Mass. So I want to go over the first part of the Mass, and and what does it mean to be attentive to the mystery? So before I go into the introductory rites, I want to talk about coming to Mass. I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to pray when I'm rushing to prayer, right? When I'm coming in at the last second. Now, I certainly understand the, the difficulties of traffic. I don't maybe personally understand the difficulties of getting children ready for Mass, but I know that things happen from time to time where some people are late to Mass. I mean, I get it. Right? It's, but at the same time, if you find yourself coming at the last second every single weekend or you're coming late every single weekend, I want to challenge you to start whatever your process is in the morning five to ten minutes earlier. Right? Here's why. When we begin Mass, we're meaning to dispose ourselves to not just offering ourselves but to receive from him. That means when you come early to Mass, you can sit in your pew and you can begin to form an intention for which you offer the Mass. Right? All of us participate in the priesthood of Christ. I participate in the priesthood of Christ in a different way than you do. But we're all meant to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. And if we're not attentive to what's going on in our life that in our time of prayer at the beginning, we form our intention, we remember what happened throughout the week, the joys, the blessings, the sufferings, the the difficulties that we're experiencing. It's going to be hard for us to truly enter into that offering. So just making sure that you try to come to Mass on time. The people I know who, who receive a lot from God at Mass are ones who really do well prepare themselves for it. I also want to remember before we get into the Mass is that We come together as a church, as a parish family, to worship God. Worshiping God is not an individual thing. It's not like it's just a me and Jesus faith. God comes and saves us as a body, and we come together as God's family together, united in Christ. The church teaches very clearly that the church is communion, that we are all one with each other, that we're not doing this alone, that the people around you right now are following Jesus with you. And we come together as a body. And I think that sometimes changes our perspective of maybe how our posture is vis-a-vis other people as we worship God. So with that said, we begin Mass with a, a ringing of a bell. Brother Joe and I installed this bell as a reminder that when the bell is rung, sacred action is about to happen. So when the bell rings in the back, uh, everyone stands. And then we go through the procession uh, into the front. Now, I'm not going to speak too much about singing in this, in this series because we don't have time to talk about that. We'll probably have a different series on that. But I want to encourage you. In the history of Israel and in the history of the church, singing has always been the response to God's saving action to God's people. Right After Israel was, was freed from slavery, they broke into song, singing the praises and thanksgiving of God. We sing because we want to joyfully respond to what he's done for us. And so singing is a response to salvation. Now, I know that not everyone likes to sing at Mass. I know that not every part of the Mass has the same kind of obligation to sing, right? For example, we we really should be singing all of the ordinaries. That is, we should be singing the Amens, the Alleluias, the Gloria, right? We should be singing the, the Lamb of God and the Holy, Holy. These are things that all of us have to be singing. But there are other parts of the Mass that are more appropriate to sing and not if you're not singing, you should be praying. But my encouragement is, if you don't like singing, or if the people around you don't like your singing, which is very <laughs> common, right? Sing anyway. I'm telling you, sometimes when I get into a funk and I have these things in my mind, I feel overwhelmed by the situation or relationship. and I just, Sometimes I just want to close in. And I see sometimes, and and all of us are struggling in some way or another, I see people that come and they have a heavy burden on their shoulders and sometimes they're just simply like this. And yet right before them, the God of salvation who redeems them, who gives them hope, is inviting them to join the choir and and, and the, the chorus of praise to him. I can tell you, if you step out of yourself and you choose to sing anyway, God could very well lift the burden that you're experiencing. I personally experienced this in my own life. So I'm not going to talk much about singing. So after the singing, we have the introduction and the greeting, right? The priest will give some sort of greeting such as the Lord be with you or the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. This is a biblical greeting that even Paul used as he was writing his letters to the people he was writing to. We see in the Old Testament, like throughout the Old Testament, the Lord be with you, right? It's It's a... It's a statement of faith that God really is with you, but it's also a prayer. We're praying that this God that we believe in is going to be with you to assist you in offering yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And you're saying, and with your spirit, which is essentially saying, and with the spirit that God has given to you and your ordination, we pray that you're able to lead us into this prayer of offering ourselves with Jesus on the altar. And we do this at three different parts of the Mass. Right at the beginning right before the, uh, the, the preface of the Eucharistic prayer and right at the end at the blessing, right? This is a prayer so that we can be prepared to enter into what God is about to do. Immediately after that, we have the collect. Um, and this is uh, important. Um, actually, I'm sorry, before the collect is the penitential rite. So what is the penitential rite? Simply, essentially, it is us calling to mind the different ways in which we have transgressed the covenant, ways in which we've fallen away from God, ways in which we've said no to his relationship or relationship of love to others. And we're calling that to mind because we're entering into a very holy experience of worship. Right? The priest usually says something like this, "Let us acknowledge our sins so that we might celebrate these mysteries more worthily." Most of us know where we're sinning. Most of us know where we're struggling. And if you don't know, what we're doing is we're giving you a period of time to think about that, to, to pray. One of my liturgical pet peeves is that we say, let us acknowledge our sins. And, instead of, and right after that, we say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Like I've asked the deacons and Father Miguel to, to make sure that there's some time so we actually can acknowledge our sins, right? But to acknowledge them, and when we respond to the, the, the confidior, Right, which is, I confess to Almighty God, that longer prayer, or we respond in the tropes where we're saying, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Right, We're really asking God to forgive our sins so that when we enter into the mystery, we will be free from sin and be able to receive what God is doing. A lot of Catholics don't know that the prayer that the priest prays after this, May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life, is actually a mini absolution. It's not for grave sins. That's for the sacrament of reconciliation. But that prayer that the priest prays does forgive all venial sins. It's meant to prepare us to enter into to the very mystery that we celebrate. So if you do come late, and sometimes it's because a lot of people are coming at, the, at, at one time. You could be here early. I understand that. But if you do come late, I want to encourage you to, to really kneel down and ask God to forgive your sins before you join us for the rest of Mass. And finally, it's not finally, the, the opening collect is, uh, is the opening prayer when we say, let us pray. Now sometimes it may seem like the servers take a long time to bring the missile to us. The idea is not efficiency. If we wanted it to be efficient, we would just have the missile on the altar. But when we say, let us pray, we're, ask, we're being asked to collect our thoughts and our minds all together so that we can pray with the priest who's addressing God the Father together. So when we say let us pray, uh, I want you to pay attention to all what's happening in your life at that moment and collect it in your mind so that you can offer it with God in that prayer. And notice how the priest is praying to the Father through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. That's the structure of the mass in terms of the prayer. Right? So allow yourself to collect your minds and hearts and offer it with the priest at the beginning of mass. The rest of the mass has two different parts, the liturgy of the word which is where we hear from the readings and we sing the psalm and the gospel and the homily, and the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is really at the heart of the the liturgy. And so with the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist are very much connected. It's really important that we don't separate them in our mind. This is what Pope Benedict says about this. He says, from listening to the word of God, faith is born or strengthened. Notice that that's the fruit, right? The liturgy is Uh, the liturgy of the word is God's word is proclaimed, it's meant to stir up faith, right? He says, in the Eucharist, the word made flesh gives himself to us as our spiritual food. Thus, from the two tables of the word of God and the body of Christ, the church receives and gives to the faithful the bread of life. Consequently, it must be constantly kept in mind that the word of God read and proclaimed by the church in the liturgy leads to the Eucharist as its own connatural end. So what happens here at this ambo, what happens here at this table is meant to prepare you to receive what happens here at the Eucharistic table. And this is a very important thing to remember. So as I conclude this introduction, I want to just simply offer three points about how to be engaged actively and fully and consciously in the liturgy of the Word. Number one, be attentive to God's Word as it's proclaimed. As the word of God is proclaimed from this ambo, it's not just simply us reading words that were written 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. right? We're reading the word of God, and as the word of God is proclaimed, God is speaking to us. He really is. His word really is speaking to us. And this is one of the reasons why when we train lectors, we train them to speak clearly, slowly, and to enunciate clearly so that we can hear the word of God this is the primary reason why we got a new sound system. So that the word may be heard. It's not just someone up here saying it's God speaking. You see, at the, at the heart of the liturgy of the word is not the homily. The heart is the proclamation of the gospel. Right? We have this book here, which is gilded. It's very nice. It sits on the altar. And I, when I process with it, I'm holding it above my head. We have incense. We're singing, Alleluia, praise the Lord. Why? Because it is by the words of the gospel we are saved. We honor the word of God. And when God is speaking to us in the word of God, it can transform us. So be attentive to the word of God. Number two, when you're attentive, expect God to speak to you when the word is proclaimed. There's an expectation that can change the way that we listen. If I'm thinking that God is going to say something to me, I'm going to listen with a very different ear. It's powerful. Notice what strikes you when the word is proclaimed. Notice what consoles you, what gives you hope. Notice what brings you into a new position of faith to entrust your life to him. Because God is speaking to all of us. And I'm amazed at how different this is for people in the church. Like someone is struck by a word or a phrase in the first reading. Some of it's to the gospel. Sometimes it's even during the homily, believe it or not, right? It's funny because sometimes people say like, Father." When you said this in the mass, when you said this in the homily, it really touched my heart. I think to myself, I don't actually think I said that, right? (laughs) But God is using me, right, a poor instrument to bless someone with the word that is spoken. But I'm just so, it's just so amazing when people are so open to hearing what God has to say to them. So when God speaks to you, make sure that you don't allow that word to kind of just drop, but to respond to it. Respond with faith, respond to what He's inviting you to. And finally, Allow your heart to burn with longing for Jesus as you listen to his word. One of the most helpful pieces of advice that I could give to you is what I often think about with the liturgy of the word. It's like the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember, they're downcast, they're they're hopeless, they had just seen Jesus crucified, they thought he was the Messiah, they don't understand it. Jesus comes into their midst and begins to describe to them all that the prophets and the law had spoken and how all related to him, right? And as he's about to pass them by, they say, stay with us. Notice they invite him to stay and come. And then he breaks the bread and he's revealed in the breaking of the bread, which is the liturgy of the Eucharist. The liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. And then they said this thing after he left. Were not our hearts burning as he opened the scriptures to us? And brothers and sisters, if we allow our hearts to burn for Jesus hearing his word, I truly believe that we are putting ourselves in a position of having him reveal himself in, in the Eucharist. I believe one of the reasons why we aren't experiencing God more powerfully in the Eucharist is because we're not attentive to what he's saying to us in the scriptures. We're not allowing ourselves to burn and to long for God to be with us in the Eucharist. The truth is, is that it's easy to go to Mass and zone out. Especially if you're thinking about the victory over Ohio State yesterday. It's easy to think about what happened yesterday or what happened before. It's easy for us to think about what we're doing next. Hey, we're going to go out to this restaurant. Hey, we're going to go to this. We're going to do this. It's easy for us not to be focused. But I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, if we're not present and actively participating in the mystery, we are shooting ourselves in the foot because our God wants to bless us radically. And so my prayer is that throughout this series, you might come to a deep appreciation of the mystery of God's love for us in the liturgy. So that preparing to receive him, we might have the strength and the love to follow him every day of our lives.